Team Vision Night. TV night from now on, okay? So instead of watching your series at home, you guys can come out for a, a vision night. And that's going to be Monday the 9th of September. We're going to start at 7 p.m. with coffee, 7.30. We're going to kick it off. It'll either be this room or the, possibly the next room. But it's, it really is just a time of, um, it's anyone who's currently involved. So you could either lead an open lounge, you're involved in 61, onboard table, projector, sound, anything where you're involved in any form. And it's, uh, so it's for leaders and also potential leaders, anyone who wants to be more involved. Here's something more of the heart of City Lights. Uh, and we just, we're going to be doing this every six weeks or so, and it's just a time of raising up leaders. And, uh, and just, I feel God, as, as we are coming back into uh, winter, I'm saying that in faith because it's still two months away, but you just kind of, everyone's coming back from holiday. There's momentum again in the city. We really trust in God for, just for, for lots of people to get touched and saved and changed. Um, so if you think it might include you, come along. Just, uh, just come and hear what it's about. I'm going to be showing you something of some exciting things that we're going to be starting in the next few months. Uh, so please come across to that. Um, Jules and Sakita. We ended with that. Thank you. Just, we're going to be advertising for the next few weeks, so just be there. Um, Jules and Sakita, Sri Lankan couple who are actually not here at the moment. They've gone back for a wedding. Uh, they're friends of ours. They've been part of the church. Not very long, but they've really just come in and swooped in, got our hearts. You've obviously seen him serving around, just the life of the party. And um, they are actually moving back to Colombo. And two Mondays ago, we prayed at prayer meeting. And we, we felt, even just, over, just to cut a long story short, that basically we, we went to dinner with them and they told us they were going back. And we said, so my question to them was, what about a city like Colombo? And they thought, that's exactly what we're feeling. So they are going back. It's not a church plant yet. It will be into the future. At the moment, they're just going to go and just gather people, uh, use some of our, our, our material, our systems that we put in place. Uh, we're going to start filming so that at least they can ha- have it on, on video there. And then just see what happens. Just let God grow this thing. And uh, we feel that God is just going to fully get behind it. We've been to Sri Lanka, I said, probably about 14 times. It's, uh, it's, it feels like my second home. And I, it's just something of a prophetic thing that I think has been part of our church. So in the, in the years to come, we're going to have another city lights in Colombo. And the reason I'm telling you this is because you need to get excited and you guys can clap and get, but, uh, we, this is the gospel going forward. I think, uh, Stala listened to an incredible testimony about a, a Buddhist man who was a, kind of high up in Buddhism and he had a, he had a near death experience where he went to hell and to heaven. And I mean, it doesn't happen to everyone, but he kind of went to hell and his name wasn't there. Then he went to heaven and his name wasn't there. So then he kind of got resurrected from the dead. And uh, just, and the saying of that is that there's, there's thousands upon millions of Buddhists that are not calling Jesus as Lord in Sri Lanka that we are wanting to see saved. And that's why we go, because there's millions of people who don't know him. That's why we plant churches. So that's exciting. You guys are also going to get behind that. Can we take a little bit of the top ends off this? It's very... Just a bit of the treble off. Thank you. So that's exciting. Jules and Sakita, be praying for them. And we'll hear more in the coming months. Okay. John 10, 10. This is the last in our series on revive and revival. And uh, I want to read this to you. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. There we go. We are fixing the sound. We're getting there. The thief does not come except to... I feel like I'm in a bathroom. Sorry. Um, because I did sound for so many years, I'm very fussy and I need to, there we go, okay. The thief does not come to, except to steal, kill, 
and to destroy. I've come that, that I may have life and that, may have, that they may have it more abundantly. God wants us to have an abundant life. And it's more than just, because uh, immediately when people think abundance, they think finances. It's, it's, okay, God will bless you financially, but that's not the reason you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus because we are wretched sinners and we need a Savior and we need someone to save us. There's this huge gulf of sin between us and God that only Jesus fulfilled, and I'm going to explain more about that. He died on the cross for us. But through that life, God wants us to live an abundant life. He wants us, and for me, an abundant life is a revived life. And uh, let me just give you a few quotes on revival. Revival is a community that is saturated with God. That's Duncan Campbell. Christ showing up in an extraordinarily powerful way to significantly overthrow the status quo and to establish the claims of his kingdom afresh. And it's amazing when they speak in Acts, they say, these men, watch out for them because they've actually turned cities upside down. And that is the call and, uh, and, and the DNA that God has put inside of us. And uh, some of you are, are sitting and you go to work day in, day out, you think you're just making money, but actually God has called you to turn a city upside down. God has given you a place, he's given you almost a microphone, he's given you a platform. My microphone is generally here on a Friday to encourage you to go out. I've also got other microphones. But some of you have microphones wherever you are. And, it's, and your microphone is it's never not on. It's always on. Your life is always on. And uh, we, our call is to bring the love of God, to see the kingdom of God break out. But if, if a church is kind of pew warmers, chair warmers, we don't use pews anymore, we're not going to do anything. And I, I really, I'm, I just keep praying for all of you. I just say, God, would you just ignite a fire in people's hearts and lives that would just, that they would be so consumed and enamored, enamored by Jesus that they cannot do anything but preach the gospel. And that's what I'm trusting for, for every single one of us. So <coughs> even in my life, Hebrews 12, you can turn there quickly, Hebrews 12, 1. Hebrews 12, we don't have it up there. I didn't put it. Hebrews 12, 1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by, su- by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run. Can we say, let us run? With endurance, the race that God has set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We've got a race to run. And uh, it's not, I think there's, there's moments where God comes and, and ignites our hearts. But I feel God wants us to be a people that are constantly revived. And that's going to take responsibility on yourself. It's spending time with Him. Not so you can memorize scripture and like, quote to someone and you look all impressive. It's actually so you get to know this living King. The Word of God is living. I love what Laura says. They spoke the Word of God in the morning over their situation. <coughs> we need to learn to do that. If we look into Jesus, Jesus was uh, in ministry for three years. If I can think what has happened back in three years, okay, well, actually God has done quite a bit in and amongst our lives. And, uh, but generally, sometimes three years can pass by and we've done nothing of significance for the kingdom of God. Jesus, in three years, changed the world. Absolutely turned history on its head. He was, he was a man from an unknown village 
It's one, probably one of the smallest villages in Israel of the time. A couple of hundred people, maybe if that. He was, he was kind of, uh, the Bible speaks about him kind of coming out of obscurity. And he goes in and he, and, he, and he goes around Galilee, which even of the day wasn't like major cities. It was small villages that were scattered around this lake. And um, it's just amazing what Jesus did in three years. And I think if we've got that same spirit inside of us, we just need to get the focus right. We need to get our, our lives focused once again, realigned that actually everything we do, we, we, we cannot uh, separate spirit, spiritual and secular. The, the Jewish mindset, which I think we need to read all of the Bible with, is that they never had a, Jew, uh, sorry, they never had a, a workplace and then they had a place of worship. It was all together in one. Everything you do is worship. Everything you do is to the glory of God. And that, for me, should change every aspect of how you live out your life. Well, how you spend your time, how you spend your free time, are you using it for the glory of God? God it's not a call that's on just leaders. It's not a call that's on, on deacons or whatever it is. It's a call on every single one of you to live every moment for the King. And I can tell you that you, you won't do that in your own strength. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit from on high. Even in worship today, I was just feeling like we, we need to push through in worship. We need... To, to not just expect things to happen. We have to actually come here with expectation. And sometimes we start out and like, I don't really feel like it. But I raise my hands. I lift, I lift up the name of Jesus. I exalt him over situations in my life. And you'll see stuff start to change. Because you're starting to put God's word higher than your feelings. Because if I went on my feelings, honestly, not much would get done. I have to go on decisions. And I have to go on kingdom decisions. So, what does a revived people look like? Number one. There would be a new vision of the majesty and the greatness of God. I think we've dwarfed God. At times I've dwarfed God into my box, into my situation. He better fit in with my routine instead of me fitting in with what God is actually doing amongst us. We fitted him to in, even our doctrine. I think we've, we've lessened God's impact because we've, we've explained to people that God is, is, a, is a certain way. That is actually outside of Scripture. You've taken one angle of Scripture and you've described God as maybe this judgmental God. And God is way bigger than we can ever imagine. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We need to understand that again. Can you turn your Bibles to Exodus 15? It's from the first point. A new vision of His majesty and greatness. Exodus 15 verse 6. I think I've got it up here. Your right hand, O Lord... Glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Last night, something shattered. I was, uh, I was printing or whatever, and I, I walked past one of Starla's favorite vases, okay, that her grand got for her. I'm still in a little bit of trouble, okay? So we just, we, no, no, we're not. I'm just teasing. Um, but... I walked past this thing and I bumped it and literally it only fell probably about that far off the ground and it totally shattered. That's what God does. That's what God's right hand, which is just God just moving. It just says it's done. Your enemy shattered. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury and consumes them like stubble. And as I was looking at these different words... Uh, first of all, the word for greatness. In the Hebrew, it's actually the word rob, which is quite funny, actually. Uh, greatness, which if, if you take the meaning of that, it means more in number 
It means abundance. It's, in 1 Samuel 3, it speaks about the God of the angel armies. So basically it's saying is that God shatters your enemy in, in his greatness. So God just rises up in his greatness. The second word I want to look at is majesty. The, the root Hebrew word for that is G-A-A, which I think is ga or cha, poli cha. Uh, and the, the, the meaning of that is to mount up. If you imagine someone getting onto a horse, I've never tried it. It just looks like the most difficult thing in the planet. Like, I don't even know where to start. I, it just wouldn't happen. I'll speak to Bridget about it. She knows what she's doing there. But, uh, but the word there is, it's, it, it's your majesty. It almost means that God is just rising up. And, um, and the, the picture that I get in my, in my mind is just this huge battleground. And uh, there's like a whole enemy that is in the valley. And then God, there's just, there's, there's literally God. And as he rises up and mounts onto a horse, there's just the God of the angel armies that stand behind him. And uh, I think we have to have that in our minds. And as I was going through this, and I feel God just dropped this into my spirit. How many of you know that the Old Testament reveals something of the New Testament? So it's, it's a picture of what we should be living in a New Testament reality. So Jesus was mounted up on Calvary. I want you to get this. As, as he was mounted, yes, in the greatness of your majesty, in the rob, which means the abundance of you rising up you, to overthrow your adversaries. Jesus rose up on Calvary by his own choice. Even though people pinned him to a cross, he could have, he could have stopped it at any moment. It was by God's and Jesus' choice that Jesus was nailed onto the cross, rose up at Calvary. He was mounted and he won the battle of all battles. Revelation 1.18 says this, I am the living one. I was dead and now look. I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the key of death in Hades. And we have to understand what happened on the cross. Because I think so many Christians live a defeated, half-baked, mediocre life because we haven't understood what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus mounted up, and he defeated every enemy, every demon in hell, shivers at the name of Jesus. We've gone into places where, it's, uh, where we're preaching the gospel, I preach Jesus, and people fall over because they, they have this, there's, there's demon spirits inside them. The spirits have to go when Jesus' name is proclaimed. He is number one. We have to understand this. We, we serve a God. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not serving a God that, that kind of is, is half-defeated, whimpering. He stands up. He mounts on a horse. Revelation uh, 19 speaks about that he has, he has a name written on his side that is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He owns everything. We have to understand that and get it into our hearts, guys. And I, I've realized this in my life, is that uh, we, we have Jesus. We can't think of him as, 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 a, as someone who, an earthly Jesus, even though an earthly Jesus was incredibly powerful and did incredible things, but he is now a resurrected Jesus. He took back the keys of death and Hades. God, God, I don't know how, we're going to find out one day when we get to heaven, actually, but Jesus died on, in our place. He, he, he was born of a virgin. Now, if you think, I, I read, and I don't think I put it down, but uh, there's, there's a verse, I think it's in Corinthians, that speaks about that. That, uh, that the enemy had no claim on Christ. It's because he was born of a virgin. Jesus came into humanity, not born in the line of man, but born in the line of God. So he's 100% man, 100% God. So he could die on the cross. And he lived an absolutely perfect sinless life on our behalf. And the amazing thing about the grace of Jesus is that if you just believe in him, and you confess Jesus with your mouth, you are saved. 
Everything that was achieved on the cross, the, the death, of, 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 almost the, the disarming of the powers of Satan. I love this verse, Colossians 2.15. <coughs> and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. And the picture I get in my mind, because I always think in pictures, is just, again, this massive stadium where there's just uncountable people all looking around, and in the middle of the stadium, Jesus gets up, and there's a moment when he's, when he's kind of on the cross, and he goes up, and Satan had thought he had won. Satan thought he, he, Satan doesn't know God's plans, okay? He knows that when God's going to start moving somewhere, but he, he doesn't know God's actual plan. So he, he was totally, in that moment, he thought that he had actually won. He thought, wow, I've caused a man to, be, to sell Jesus for 20 pieces of silver. I've actually won. I've beat, I've, I beat the Son of God. Little did he know that three days later, he was resurrected from the dead in the power of God. And, and since that moment, a revival fire has been lit that we are still on today. John 12, 32 says this, And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. This is good news. The gospel of Jesus is good news. We have to understand, honestly, and if you don't understand it, come and speak to me, get Read your Bible. Go, go, go listen to this. We've got an, these incredible resources just at, the, at your fingertips on the internet that you can go learn about what Jesus has done for you. It's, you have to get it because it will change everything. And I love that moment when, in Acts 7 when Stephen, the first martyr, is being stoned and he is, he's about to die and he just says, he looks up and he sees Jesus stand, standing up. And I feel that when we go through tough times, God's not backing off. God is standing up. So whatever trial you're facing, whatever you may be going through in work, whatever, and can I say this, even when sin comes knocking at your door, Jesus stands up because he doesn't want you to go down this path that is going to actually wreck your future and wreck your life. <coughs> we have to know this, that Jesus has won and he's standing up for us. That's amazing. For me, when I, when I read that out of Exodus, I was like, wow, God, you, you, you revealed who you were. I mean, the whole story of, of, the, of the Exodus, of the Israelite people coming out of a place of slavery into a place of freedom is, is also just a, a mirror or, or like a type of what we are. We, we were dead in our sins and transgressions. God saved us by his miraculous power. Now we're entering into the promised land that he has for us. A church revived has a new reverence for him. And uh, saying that Louis Giglio says, he said, we, remi- we worship not to remind, uh, uh, sorry, we, rem- we worship to remind ourselves of God. God doesn't need reminding. God doesn't need reminding how good and big he is. He knows that. Not in an arrogant way. He just, he's God. He's absolutely, it's always been, always will be. But we need to worship God and sing songs that exalt him like we were doing today because it reminds us of who God is. And we need to be reminded when you're going through tough times that you, that you don't need to just kind of coaster through it. You can actually reign in victory. God, Jesus has won the victory. We have, to, we have to be able to stand in that place of victory and move forward in there. Second thing, number two, there will be a new vision of, uh, sorry, a new sense of sinfulness and a deep sense of repentance over God's people. When revival comes to a place, Acts 3.19 says this, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The word repent as we know, is, uh, is metanoia, which means it comes from the, the same word as metamorphosis, that 
when you, when you repent, it's not just saying sorry. Because, you, you, I mean, I've, I've seen kids in the church, like, they'll do something wrong. Uh, we were with Rom and Nusha the other day, and Ren was running around doing some stuff. And then Rom, Rom shouted at him, and he, like, he kind of said sorry. But then he carried on doing the same thing. And it's just he's being a child. But he's, not, he's, he's sorry, but he's not repentant. Because if he was repentant, he'd stop doing that thing all over. But actually, sometimes a swift hand, which I saw happen a couple of times, is what is needed to, to bring the repentance. Uh, and not that God necessarily does that to us. He does discipline us at, at times. Um, for me, repentance is this. It's essentially putting God in front of all other competing voices. It's putting God first. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's obviously, you, you sin, you mess up, but it's being sorry for what you've done, but it's actually turning your face towards God and saying, actually, I know that the Bible speaks about that, that, that Jesus defeated sin in me. I don't need to live in the sin. I can actually speak to that sin and, and, and move on and walk in a place of holiness and righteousness before him. Um, repentance changes us. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a supernatural thing. And I think when God's presence comes on a people, not only does the church repent of maybe even living mediocre lives or living with sin, living with a little bit of one foot in the earth, sorry, one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. And I mean, the amazing thing what God says about that, and which is always when I read it in Revelations, it's such a sobering thing, is that if you have one foot in the earth, sorry, one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom of God, he vomits you out of his mouth. God would rather have you be full on and then you, you get saved and you come back to him and you give everything to him than you live straddling on either side of the kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness. Being sorry is just sorrowful what you have done. Repentance means a total walking away from something. Isaiah 6, for me, which just described it, he's... There's a moment that Isaiah is, is a prophet of the Old Testament. He's caught up in worshiping God in heaven. And he sees what is actually going down in heaven. And he bows down to his knees. This is, this is pre-New Testament. This is the Old Testament. And he says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the, 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 the king strong and mighty. And God, comes, God sends an angel, puts coals in his lips, and, and, and cleanses him so he can actually approach the Father. And I think that's the place when we see, point one, we see the majesty of God, it should cause us to repent and say, God, I need more of you. I'm, so, I, I, I re, I'm repentant of the things that I've done. Not only in the church, but also I think when God moves, unsaved people will come in and flood in you because they see the goodness and the graciousness and the loving Father that draws them to a place of repentance. There, number three, there would be a new emphasis on seeking and hungering after God. Uh, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I think a mark of any church that's been revived is a hunger for God. A hunger to see His kingdom established. A hunger to, to not live for themselves, to live for the King. And uh, I think the moment, and that's why we also have times of worship. It gives you that individual moment where it's not about you. It's actually about you hungering and seeking after God. And uh, Stahl and I were talking about the significance of worship music in our lives over the years. If I think Stahl, she mentioned Delirious, Jason Upton, who else? Hillsong at times. And I think we need to live in a place where we've got worship music in our car. We've got worship in our home. Um, if you play an instrument, be worshiping God because it's, it's, it constantly sets God as number one in your life. Number four, 
If I look in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the New Testament, Jesus walking around, people had a hunger for him. Jesus came and he was just, the, the, the lost were so attracted to him. Although Jesus never sinned, he was the most relevant person to sinners. There, there, was, there was tax collectors, prostitutes. Like, if, if you think of that today, because Don again, we're talking, we say, where would Jesus go sit today? He would go, he would be actually shunned upon by the church, I think. He would walk into places and he would hang out with people that no one else wants to hang out because Jesus even said, it's not the well that needs a doctor, but it's the sick that needs a doctor and they need healing. Number four, there's a new realization of our responsibility to take the gospel to the whole world. Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I've said this before, but the, the root word there for witness, is, it can be interchanged with martyr, which means just, it means a dying to yourself, but also that, that it means actually that you're actually giving your life unto death to see the kingdom of God established. If I look at the 12 apostles, all of them were martyred except for John. They tried to martyr John, he wouldn't die. They boiled him in oil, nothing happened. Eventually they just exiled him to Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelations. There's, a, there's, there's something inside of us that the cost of following Jesus, and for me, Stana, like as much as there's, there's, there's hard times, it's 99.9% joy. Because we've, we've understand, understood what it means to be content in all situations. I think we're still learning that. And uh, we're all going to continue to learn that in our lives. But we've learned what, how to tap into the joy of God. That even if we go through a trial, through a tough time, God remains constant. Like that song we were singing. He remains the same. And we tap into that. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have these tre- uh, this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are jars of clay. Paul describes us as almost like a, a, a piece of pottery. That's, that's, uh, in, in Isaiah it speaks about the, the, the potter and the clay. We, we, are, we are earthen vessels that God has just decided through His goodness, through His love, through His grace to pour out His Spirit in us. And we become almost the trailer uh, to the main movie of what heaven is like. We, we represent who God is on this planet. And it shows if we just live a life that is submitted to Christ, focused on His kingdom, it'll, you will start to see the people around you change. Your sphere of influence change. Pick up your microphone. Everyone needs to pick up their microphone and start to use it for the glory of God. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen people, listen to the words here, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's amazing. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Again, we're taking God's word as absolute truth. And we, if we say that we're a royal people, a chosen people, we, we've been pulled out of darkness. I love what it, the word it says there. It says, we're God's special possession. I've had special possessions in my life. I would say the first one, uh, actually... I can't remember when I was younger. I probably had many. I was a bit of a strange little kid. But um, I had my, my first baby Taylor guitar. Rams will know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Big baby Taylor. Sorry, he corrected me. You get baby Taylor guitars and you get big baby Taylor. This, this guitar my parents paid for and I paid them back. And uh, I just I absolutely love this guitar. It went everywhere with me. Eventually, through my own negligence and through a taxi driver who stole it, he drove away with my guitar in Jordan, 
never saw it again. But uh, I'm still actually quite cut up about it. But that, for me, is, 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 is ridiculous. It is a special possession. How much more we, are we to God? I mean, it's probably a bad illustration. But guitars, guitarists, you know, guitars are close to you, you know. And since then, I haven't had a, a closer friendship with a guitar. It's, it's been kind of hard since then, you know. Um, first cut is the deepest. Um, but look at, if I look at Ramsey, like the moment he's... His daughter walks in. He's just he just stops worshiping. His eyes just go towards his daughter. That, that daughter is his special possession, and that's what we are to God. He loves us with a, this this crazy, unending love. He just I need you to get out of your minds that God wants to smite you and punish you because He doesn't. Okay, it was the the, the the smiting and the punishment was taken was poured out upon Jesus. Jesus took it for us. He 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 he, he was mounted on the cross. He, he defeated the adversaries. Everything that our sin was counted against us was poured out upon Christ. And simply believing in Him, we live free. Okay, I want to race through the last few. There will be a new dependence on the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.19, it says, And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent you to them. We need to learn to, to tune into the voice of the Holy Spirit. So people often struggle with this. And we'll, do, we'll at some stage do a series on, on what it means to hear the Holy Spirit. But it really is about listening to His voice. And it, it could be an, an inward thing. Some of you are lucky enough to maybe even hear the audible voice of God. I only know very few people that has ever happened to. First of all, we go to His Word. It's His Word speaking. God will never contradict His Word. And actually, when you, we hear of people who have had visions of Christ from other faiths, it's always God just speaking His Word. So we can 100% take His Word and listen to it. And that's, that's exactly like the Holy Spirit speaking. But then there's also the Spirit speaking on our, on our lives in, in specific situations. We need to learn to tune our voice into that. Six, a new desire to study the Word and passion in prayer. I won't stay much on that other than saying this. Brian Houston says this. Whatever your circumstance, speak the Word of God to it. And declare His promises over your future today. Whatever you're walking through, speak the Word of God over it. Find scriptures. I've, God gave me Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8 that I feel is for our church and for us as a family. That I've been speaking over us. And I've been speaking it, I've been speaking it, I've been speaking it. And, I'm, and, I'm, and, I, and, and in a sense, I've, I've got that evidence of, of faith that, that it speaks about in, in Hebrews 11. I'm living in that evidence of faith. I see in my mind thousands of people say, getting saved in this church. I see in my mind churches being planted out there. I see our, our family just growing into all that God has for us but from that place because I've been speaking the Word of God. And we need to learn how to get the Word of God as number one in our lives. And I think that's been a theme that we've seen over the past few weeks. And finally... Revival brings an emphasis, emphasis on our authority as believers. And we'll speak through that in length because I can't do that in, in two, three minutes. But uh, we need to understand, first of all, our identity, our sonship, daughtership. We, we, we've been adopted into the family. We've been included into God's family. From that place comes authority. If I look at uh, the royal family, I always look at Johnny because he kind of has the same accent. Um, but uh, the royal family... They get born. I was thinking about uh, what's what's Kate. What's the what's the what's the husband? William and Kate. They okay. George, George, yeah, and the little babies, George. I just think they are two very ordinary people. Okay, there was hope for William. 
He was looking kind of okay, but then he lost his hair. No offense to any bald guys, um, because I might go that way. In the name of Jesus, I won't. Um, but, you know what I mean? They, they're, normal, they're normal people. They go to the bathroom. But they were, they were born into royalty, which means they were born into an authority. It's exactly the same with us. With, when, when we get born again, which means we, we get born into the lineage of Christ, which is not, not just the king of England, it's the king above all kings. We're born into that. We prince and princesses under, under this lineage of God. So it means we have authority of what he says we have authority over. And we need to learn to stand in that thing. And we'll get to that. I want to end with something. And Sherry, can you come and play some piano? That would be awesome. Authority as believers. Absolutely key. Can we all stand? We're going to just end with something you can read on the screen. Okay. We're going to have it up here. Are you ready? When you rebuke the enemy and return to God by repenting of your sins and receiving Christ, your spirit will be reborn, your mind renewed, your life rebuilt. You will be reconciled by Christ's redeeming love. And while you rejoice, you will reap the rewards of relationship, causing revival to break free.